So today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And I was thinking about this text this week, and I was thinking a couple weeks ago I had mentioned that we're going to come back to this text and, and see some of the things that Paul is talking about. But I was thinking about, have you ever had this happen before where you try to fit too much stuff into a container and it kind of blows out? Or maybe you put... Uh, you know, the, the wrong thing in the wrong container, and it just isn't meant to hold that. This happens to me all the time with grocery bags. So you go to the store, and by the way, if you don't know this about me, I love grocery shopping. I do. I just love it. And don't get me started on Costco. I would live at Costco. Anyways, you get all this stuff, and you're in a hurry, so you pack all your stuff into your bag, and you get about 10 feet from your car, and the bag drops. And you end up picking up your cream corn off of the parking lot. Not that that's ever happened to me, but it sounds like something that would happen. Uh, This was also the case when I was doing construction and wheeling wheelbarrows of cement. And I see some of you rolling your eyes in agreement. And this one time the cement comes off the truck and hits the wheelbarrow, and it probably shouldn't have been the wheelbarrow to use, and over it goes. The container wasn't appropriate for the contents. So when we come now to this text... In Ephesians chapter 3, the reason I start with those illustrations is because Paul is praying that we be strengthened with power by the Spirit for something. He wants us to be strengthened so that, and that's what we're going to get into today. So before we get into it, I want to read the text with you. I want to pray for God's help, and we're going to see a couple of reasons why you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to be strengthened through the Spirit. So if you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bible, Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read starting in verse 14 through the end of the chapter. This is the prayer that Paul is praying for this church and for us as believers in Jesus. So follow along, please, in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Under the shadow of your throne, Your saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is your arm alone, and our defense is sure. The hymn writer got it right. Father, you are our defense. You are our righteousness. You are the only one who can save us from our sin. That's the the biggest problem that we have. We all have problems. We all have things that distract us and need to be resolved and taken care of, but God, I come to you this morning and ask that we would recognize that there is a problem of sin in our hearts, in my heart. 
And I pray that through the power of your spirit that the word would convict this morning. For those of us who are here who are still battling and and struggling, which we all are to some degree, Father, would you strengthen us? This is the prayer that Paul is praying, that we be strengthened. And so would you do this work this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. And would Christ be glorified today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So starting in verse 17, we're going to work 17 through 19. We have Easter Sunday next Sunday. We'll take a little break from Ephesians and then come back and finish chapter 3 the following Sunday. So notice in verse 17, Paul starts with a so that. And for those of you who are interested in grammar, we know that that is a purpose clause. So in the previous verses, he says, he prays to God that we be strengthened with power through the Spirit so that... So this is telling us why do we need to be strengthened. And we're going to see two reasons. There's more, but we're going to focus on two this morning. Two reasons that we need to be strengthened. Two ways to answer the why question that 14 through 16 introduced. So, why do we need to be strengthened by the Spirit? First of all, we need to be strengthened by the Spirit to be prepared for Christ. Number one, to be prepared for Christ. This point is only going to make sense and kind of resonate with us if we have an appropriate and biblical view of who Jesus is. So if I were just to come to you and say, well, you've got to be strengthened for Christ, you'd be like, okay. I mean, if you have a kind of average or low view of Jesus and just kind of peered like, yep, I, I get it, I know who he is, I know what he's done, this isn't going to make sense. Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit so that, the strengthening is so that Christ would then dwell in our hearts through faith. This goes back to those opening illustrations of the container and the contents. If we have Jesus Christ crucified, risen, ascended to the right hand of the Father, dwelling in us and we aren't strengthened through something other than yourself, what's going to happen? It's going to be similar to taking a baseball-sized piece of white-hot nuclear fuel and putting it in a sandwich bag. What's going to happen to that bag? Gone. It needs to be reinforced. It needs to be strengthened. The container must be appropriate for the contents. So when we read that Jesus is to dwell in our hearts through faith, we should realize that in so doing... All the fullness of God is coming with him. Are you prepared for that? You ready for that? Paul told the church in Colossians, in chapter 1, he says, In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is fullness language. This is completeness language that Paul is trying to communicate. As I said before, though, the degree to which you see this strengthening as something that is necessary depends upon your view of Jesus and your understanding of him. Right? If you put the napkin into the sandwich bag, nothing's going to happen. The bag will be fine. But if you put something greater into a vessel that isn't ready for it, it's going to need to be strengthened. And that's what Paul is praying for. It's absolutely critical that you and I, right now, this morning have a biblical view of who Jesus is. 
That's what's going to determine your level of understanding, your level of need for this strengthening. It's really important, and I use important in the strongest sense, critical, crucial, whatever word you want to use, that we have a right and biblical understanding of Jesus. Because if we only have this understanding of him that is formed by your imagination or your feelings, and you say, well, I just, I, I, can't, I can't imagine a God who acts like that. Or I, that's, I always think of Jesus as whatever. Those are the wrong ways, folks. We have the word of God that informs our view of who Jesus is. Now, thoughts and feelings are important. The way we think is important. The way that we feel and react to things is important. But when it comes to defining who is Jesus, you cannot make this up in your mind and try to fit him into something. That's why this is so important. As your pastor, I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to have a full and complete picture. It's so dangerous to try to define Jesus by what you and I can understand. We are so limited. So limited. I'm speaking of myself primarily. We are all limited in understanding. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, you're having a conversation about whatever it is, current events or whatever, and you say something about God or his control over things or his love or whatever, and they say, I just can't imagine a God like that. You know what? You can't anyways. You cannot in your wildest imagination think of how God really is, which is why it's not up to us to define who God is. It is up to God to define who God is, and he does that so clearly in his word, so clearly. We just have to look for it. This is the reason Paul prays this way. He knows that when Jesus Christ comes and takes up residence in our heart, we are in need of reinforcing. We are in need of strengthening. And this happens through the work of the Spirit. I was talking to one of you this week about the Trinity and how each member has its distinct function and roles and what they do within the Godhead. You remember Trinity, tri, three, three in one. We're talking God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all work together to accomplish the purpose of the Father. This passage is clearly Trinitarian. The power of God the Father works through the Spirit of God so that the Son of God dwells in us. Do you pick up on that? That's an important thing to pick up on. When we see the true and biblical picture of Jesus, we understand that we need to be prepared. We need to be strengthened for Christ to dwell in us. The container must be appropriate for the contents. Now, something else we need to ask from verse 17. Paul is writing to Ephesian Christians. He's writing to people who are Saved, according to chapter 1, verse 13, they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, they believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. These are genuine Christians. So why does Paul pray that Jesus Christ would dwell in their hearts? If they're Christians, isn't Christ already in them? I mean, didn't he say in chapter 2, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith? Past tense, have been. So what's going on? I think one way to look at this is to see that Paul is making an individual application just as he made a corporate application in chapter 2. 
Hang with me here. He's making an individual application to these believers just as he made corporate application in chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting in verse 20. Paul says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure... Corporate language, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a, what? Dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is corporate language of Christ dwelling with his people. And now in chapter 3, he makes a similar application to the individual believer. Now remember that this is in the context of a prayer request. Paul is praying that these things would happen, that God would accomplish these things in the life of the Christian. Paul is asking God that these Christians would experience the fullness of the presence of God. You know that you can have something and not really experience all of it, right? To some degrees. I was thinking this happened to me a couple years ago. I was at a baseball game. And I'm, I mean, I'm taking it in. I've only been to like four games in my whole life. It was so cool. So we're, we're sitting there. You can smell everything. You can see everything. I was, I was getting the full experience. And I look over, and probably two rows up and over, there's someone sitting there reading a book. And if some of you do that, I'm sorry. But I am experiencing like every part of this game that I can. Is that person experiencing the game? Yep. Are they experiencing the fullness of the game? Probably not. So when Paul prays this, he's not saying, you don't have Christ. And if you just do these certain things or act a certain way or say these right things, you'll have the fullness. He is saying, the very Son of God is dwelling in you and I want you to know all of what that means. He is not saying you don't have it and now you're going to have it. He is saying, the fullness of God dwells in us. And we need to learn what that means and what we do to experience that. For Christ, for Christ to dwell in our hearts means at least two things. Right? When we say, well, what does it mean that Christ dwells in our hearts? Here's what I think. I think it means that he takes up residence and ownership. Residence and ownership. No longer are we the ones deciding what we do and when we do it. He is. No longer do we live to serve our selfish passions. We live to serve Jesus. No longer should we lust and covet and strive and be selfish and all these things, but we should be consumed by the fullness of Christ that dwells in us. This is the mentality. This is the attitude in Urias Kyrios. Jesus is Lord that got the early church killed because they totally submitted to this indwelling of Christ in their life. This is what it means for Jesus to dwell in our hearts. Paul continues now in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So Paul uses agricultural and architectural examples, both having to do with stability or permanence, right? Rooted, grounded. To be rooted is to have a stability that endures. This is the Psalm 1 man. If you remember Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. He is the man who is planted by the stream and his roots go deep into the word of God. 
Jesus used this same idea when he, in the parable of the sower. This idea of rootedness. He kind of uses it in a negative sense. Matthew 13, listen as I read, from starting in verse 3. A sower went out to sow, sowing the seeds. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, <clears throat> where they did not have as much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun came out, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. If they had had root, they wouldn't have withered, is the implication, right? So this rootedness is the idea that we are rooted or established in the love of God, that we have stability to weather the storms and stability to kind of handle the things that come up. Next, Paul says, grounded. We should be grounded. And they could also, maybe your translation says, established, which is another good word. Again, Jesus uses the same word when he speaks of the wise and foolish builders in Matthew chapter 7. He says in verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded, same word as Paul uses in Ephesians 3, on the rock. Founded, rooted, Established. You get in kind of the sense of this? That Paul doesn't want us to be the kind of Christians who are blown around by everything that comes up, but that we are rooted and established in the Word of God and the love of Christ. That you would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Now these are really similar words, similar meanings. We know from Paul's writing that he loves to stack things together to help us understand the importance of what he is trying to communicate. So number one, we are strengthened by the Spirit so that we can be prepared for Christ. Now, number two, we'll take this in verses 18 and 19. We need strength for understanding. Number two, strength for understanding. Paul prays in verse 18 that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. We need to be strengthened so that we can comprehend or understand or grasp the dimensions of God's love. Now you might say, this seems kind of like an odd thing to pray for. I know what love is. I, I love things. I love people. I, why would we need to be strengthened to do something that we already know? I believe Paul prays this way because he knows the love of God is very unlike what you and I consider to be love. I mean, we model our love after God, but the love of God is something that we need to really be reinforced to understand. That's why Paul prays this way. When you receive a gift or someone does something that makes you feel a certain way, you can respond in an attitude of love. If someone does something that uh, shows affection or protection or provision or something, our response is usually love in that thing. But the love of God is not responsive in the same way that our human love often is. God didn't look upon you and say, well, you did this for me and I appreciate that, so now I'm going to show you love. He didn't look down a future and say, I bet that that person is going to do something that's going to be worthy of my love, so I'm going to love them. That isn't the love of God. The love of God is very 
different. There are two texts. I want to show you two biblical examples that I think will help us to understand why it is Paul prays that we would be strengthened to understand the love of God. And these will illustrate how the love of God is different from our conception. Consider first what John wrote in his epistle. First John chapter 4. You can write these down or you can turn and follow along. First John chapter 4 verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, or shown, or displayed, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sins. That's unlike our love. Another text we preached through Romans 5 this summer. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love in this, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a love that's unlike our love, isn't it? A love that isn't motivated by anything except just the fact that God is love. This is what Paul prays that we would understand. This is the kind of love that we need to be strengthened in order to comprehend this. And not only understand or comprehend in kind of an academic way and you can give the right answer, but I think that our call as Christians is to model the way that we love after God's love. What good would it do if we just looked at it and said, well, that's, that's nice, but that's, I, that's not how we are. We're called to imitate as, to, as much as we can through the strengthening of the Spirit. Right? You and I are called to model this kind of love. There are several engaged couples in our church right now. And if you make it your goal to come to your marriage with the full intent that you are going to love as God loved, not based on merit, not based on performance, not based on past record, but because you have covenanted together to love one another, you will experience joy in your marriage. That's not just for newly married people. That's for all of us. We're called to imitate the love of God. And notice that he prays that we would... Be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints. The love of God, as difficult in some ways as it can be to understand, is not reserved for this higher level of Christianity. It's not just for the people who have a PhD or an extensive experience in church history or something like that. It is for all of us to understand. And sometimes <clears throat> we come across stuff in our study and... We kind of think, oh, I could never understand that. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. Maybe the love of God is like that for you. Maybe you simply don't understand what would possibly motivate God to act in this way. I don't get it. But Paul's prayer is not just that pastors would understand or that church leaders would understand, but that with all the saints we would together 
through the work of the Holy Spirit, comprehend the love of God. And then put that into practice. Now the way that Paul helps us to comprehend what is otherwise incomprehensible or difficult to understand is to use spatial dimensions. And I think this is a really great illustration. Paul prays that we would be strengthened to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. Think about, you ever see on a map, there's a, it kind of looks like a cross, but it's like a three-dimensional cross, right, that points up, down, north, south, east, west, all the directions. It's kinda, that's what I'm thinking of here when he uses these spatial illustrations for us. In Ephesians 3, I think when he uses these terms, what, what would you say, if I asked you the question right now, why does Paul use, why does he illustrate it this way? What would you say? Why do you think Paul includes like way up and way down and way over that way? And way, what, what's the point? I think the point is that we're meant to know that the love of God is all-encompassing. There's nowhere it cannot reach. And I think some of us need to hear that. John Stott said it this way, The love of Christ, this is so good, The love of Christ is long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt that sinner to heaven. Isn't that good? Isn't that an encouragement for you? The love of God is deep enough to reach down to the lowest point that you could possibly imagine yourself to be at. And it is high enough to raise you to newness of life all the way to the throne of God. Oh, it is so good. Is it any wonder why Paul prays God strengthen them to comprehend this love? It's the container and the contents, guys. We need to know what we're dealing with so that we understand. There's a lot of parallels that I see when I read this text. But when Paul stacks up these words, length, breadth, height, depth, those kinds of things, you all should be thinking Romans 8. Now you know how I feel about Romans 8. It is unapologetically the greatest chapter in the Bible. And you can disagree, but you're wrong. Romans 8, there's a really good parallel in this, and I just want to read this for you because it is so good. So think in the context of Ephesians 3. Think about Paul trying to get us to comprehend the love of God. He is reaching for language. Whenever he stacks things up, it's not just for vain repetition. It is so that you and I understand this is a really big deal. Listen to what he writes in Romans 8, starting in 24. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are being accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers. He's stacking things up again. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is it any wonder why we need to be strengthened for this love? Oh, I don't get it. I don't get this kind of love. It is so different than what I experience. But Paul says, God, through the work of your spirit, strengthen this church to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. That's the desire of my heart for you and for me that we would know this Now, in verse 19, Paul moves us beyond just a comprehension to more of a practical application of this. Let's read verse 19 together. This is Ephesians 3. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I want to focus the last part of our time together on the, on the last half of that verse, looking at the fullness of God. The reason that Paul prays that we have a complete and full and total understanding of this is so that we would be filled. And what a staggering thought. If the love of God is as we have just defined it, now Paul's praying, fill them with that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Paul prays, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith in verse 17. And now he requests, he's still in the context of his prayer, that we would know and experience the fullness of God. He wants us engaged in that game, not reading a book. All the way in. That we would know this fullness. Now it's interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, especially in Ephesians, there is language of fullness and there's language of being filled. You notice this as you read through? There's kind of both realities that we would be full and that you would be filled. And so, here's just a couple of examples. In chapter 5, we are to go on being filled with the Spirit. And even though the church is already the fullness of Him who fills all in all, that was verse 23 of chapter 1, the church is to grow up in Him until it reaches fullness. Chapter 4, verse 13. So we have kind of both of these realities. So when we see Paul praying that we would be filled with all the fullness of God in Christ, I want to see this, and I want you to see this as an encouragement to continue growth. Right? Similar to before. It's not that we don't have Christ in us, but Paul's desire is to move beyond the bottom and to come and experience all that God has for us. It's an encouragement towards growth. You and I will never reach the point, this side of heaven, where we cease to learn about God. In fact, for all of eternity, we will not know all of God. But that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. We'll never reach the point when we cease to need instruction and encouragement. That's one of the reasons we gather every Sunday. 
and in Bible studies and small groups and everything else, we need this regular encouragement to say, stick with it, keep going, know the love of Christ, take the Bible in, memorize it, think about it, meditate on it, all of these things. We need those encouragements. Paul is encouraging this church through his prayer that they would continue on in growth, continue on in a pursuit of holiness, continue to know the fullness of God. That's his instruction through his prayer. I think it's also, in a way, a warning against self-sufficiency. You know what self-sufficiency is? Thinking that you kind of have in yourself everything that's necessary. You, you have it all together. That's being self-sufficient. But I think by Paul acknowledging that we need to continually be reminded and continually be filled with all the fullness of God is one way of saying, you know what, Christian? You don't have everything you need. You need God. You need the love of Christ. You need to know what it means to experience this kind of fullness. This is why Paul prays this way. You and I are very dependent. You know that, right? I mean, when we're younger and you kind of get close to the end of high school and you're looking out, you cannot wait to be independent. Most of us, right? It's just, it's a natural part of life and you want to kind of get on your own and get your legs under you and, and do whatever and that's a good thing. But when it comes to our walk with the Lord, you never leave the house in a sense. You're always there. We are always dependent. We are always receiving. That's what the Christian life is. Receive, receive, receive. We never move past that and that's the way that we were designed. And so when Paul prays that we be filled continually, it's an encouragement for us and a warning. An encouragement that God possesses everything that we need and a warning against coming to think for ourselves that we have it together. Because we really don't. We really don't. So Paul prays, first of all, that we would be strengthened so that we are prepared for Christ, prepared for His indwelling, And number two, strength for understanding. Now just one word of encouragement as we close before we come to the table. I want to encourage you again, as I did two weeks ago, to look at the way that Paul prays. Look at the things that are important to him in his prayer and model your prayer life after that. Okay? Paul is concerned with people knowing the true Jesus. Paul is concerned that we put ourselves in the path of instruction, encouragement, filling. Is that your concern in your prayer? Do you pray for one another and for your family and for yourself that God would fill you with all the fullness of God? It's important to the writers of Scripture. It should be important to us. So my encouragement, after going through this prayer, Model our prayer life after this kind of prayer. And especially, let's pray it for one another. Can you imagine if all of us in this church were committed to praying for everyone else that we would know the love of Christ, that we would be strengthened through the Spirit by the power of God to understand everything that God is for us. Can you imagine? That's my encouragement for you. Let's model our kind of prayer after this prayer of Paul's. So let's pray now as we come to the table. 
Father, this is daunting in some ways. This seems maybe out of reach for us. How could we possibly know the fullness of who you are? How could you possibly, holy, set apart, perfect God, come to dwell in us? But Lord, you want us to know you. You want us to experience this. You want us to know biblically who you are and to worship you for it. God, would you constantly remind us that we will never outgrow learning who you are. We will never move beyond trying to comprehend all of your perfections. And would you use this church and the ministry of your word to strengthen us Lord, strengthen us with power through your Spirit that we would know the breadth and length and height and depth and that we would know the love of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.